again, welcome and uh, glad to be with you tonight. Uh, if you missed the morning service for any reason, I'm filling in for John. My name's Kelly Jackson, and I work for RUF here and uh, love serving college students at Florida State. Um, I was here this morning, and I'm here tonight, too. And we'll be in the Gospel of John tonight, which is actually the uh, book that we've been walking through as much as possible uh, in RUF this semester in a series called Illuminate. And it's all about how Jesus brings life and light uh, to those he encounters. Uh, and my prayer every week at RUF and tonight as well is that he would illuminate our minds, our hearts, our lives also. Um, if you look throughout the Gospel of John... Um, And we'll see in just a few minutes this theme of light uh, and Jesus shining into darkness, truth pouring out from a knowable, gracious and merciful God to a blind and needy people. It's just all over the place. Um, and so in many ways, John is he's telling us to turn turn the lights on. Uh, and I love music as we get ready to, to read. I'll pray in just a minute. I love telling people when I, when I have a song uh, that I just love. I actually shared a song this morning with someone that ab- abide with me. The, the spirit just kind of sometimes when you're preaching, the spirit just gives you something and you think, is this relevant? Uh, and it was. But abide with me is a great song. I love sharing music with students. I love it when there are hymns or other just really good songs uh, that I want to share with them. And it, it feels like when I'm sharing, especially music with someone like I'm giving them a gift. It's kind of this like, here, is it as special to you as it is to me? Sometimes I do this with my wife, and she's like, that song's okay. I'm like, ah, oh, you don't get it. But, you know, whatever it is for you, how do you show love or how do you communicate these things that you love uh, to people in your life? Maybe you use words. Maybe you use uh, random acts of kindness. You just go out and start washing the car. Maybe you love creating memories for those you love. How do you communicate uh, what you love and who you love, and and how do you do that? I'm going to argue in just a minute uh, that we have a very loving, communicative God, and the greatest act of love that he has ever taken to communicate that love to us is in the person of Jesus Christ. Uh, So let's pray, and we will uh, begin in John chapter 1, verse 1, in just a minute. Pray with me. Lord, do bless the reading of your word now. Do illuminate our minds and our hearts, uh, because if you don't do that, then we're not going to know the truth. Uh, We need your spirit uh, to speak to us now, and so, spirit, we cry out to you yet again and pray that you would uh, speak that you would move our hearts, that you would cut us to the heart, and that you'd apply uh, the gospel salve, uh, that you'd do surgery on us tonight, because I know that I am a man in need of change, and I think uh, my brothers and sisters here with me uh, also feel their need. And so may we run to you with that need. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. John chapter 1. We're going to begin in verse 1 and go to verse 18. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, 
and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light, that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh, and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about him and cried out, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me, because he was before me. For from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one's ever seen God, the only God who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. Again, the grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of the Lord stands forever, y'all. So here in this gospel, written by the disciple John, and he's referring to uh, John the Baptist when he says John at the beginning of chapter 1 here. So two different Johns. But here in this gospel uh, account written about Jesus by the apostle John, I just want to remind you, if you've forgotten or teach you something tonight, it was written later than the other three gospels, uh, the synoptics, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And it has a a way different flow in terms of kind of theme and and, and how it unfolds. Matthew, Mark, and Luke, um, yeah, they were written a a good bit before, uh, time-wise. John and Clement of Alexandria, one of the early church fathers, he wrote this. Last of all, John, perceiving that the external facts had been made plain, composed a spiritual gospel. John definitely has way more uh, kind of spiritual elements, poetic elements than Matthew, Mark, or Luke do. So how does it start? Kind of strangely, right? Compared to Matthew and Luke's historical genealogies, and then compared to Mark's introduction with a little bit of Old Testament prophecy, and then going right into John the Baptist, the baptism of Jesus, you know, like Mark moves really fast. It's just like he uses the word uh, immediately uh, a lot. And it's like this happens and then this, this happens. And then in Matthew and Luke, we have these genealogies. John's not like any of the, the rest. We see all kinds of imagery. We see metaphor. We see spiritual language, don't we? We just heard a whole lot about the word. And then light and darkness are talked about a lot. I told you all that we would be talking about that a lot uh, throughout the Gospel of John. A second birth is referenced. You know, all of this and more in just the first 18 verses. Like, John is doing something different. What is he doing? Y'all, I would argue that John wants you and me to see the communicative nature of God. John is inviting us to see that God is not silent and that if we will look and we will listen... We will know, we will be known by, and we will be transformed by the word himself. And so we see this word or this logos in the Greek. Who is Jesus described under the three headings? This is our outline uh, tonight. We're going to see that the the word is God. We're going to see that the word is life-giving light. 
And then lastly, we're going to see that the word became flesh for us. So let's dive into this first point. The word is God. This is the first four verses or so. Verse 1 tells us all about the word, but what exactly is the word? You may have heard of Logos before. There's actually a Bible software called Logos uh, that I don't have, but I want it. Uh, But you may have heard this Greek term, and, and it literally means word, but Logos could also be translated as plan or reason. A little digging would show us that ancient Greeks used this word, Logos, before John wrote his gospel. It's not just a Bible word. And they used it to to describe a philosophical concept, uh, some idea or wisdom that gave grand order or or design to the universe. So a Greek philosopher might might say, above, behind, before, everything else is the logos. You know, and like philosophers, if you took any philosophy class in college, they just like to sit around and talk about ideas. Some, Some of that I enjoyed, some of that I got tired of. But, you know, just imagine a philosopher talking all about the Logos. Why, why is John using that word then here? Is he trying to philosophize? Well, if we look at the first verse, it is clear he's taking us back to creation, isn't it? Maybe you've heard someone put Genesis 1 and John 1 beside each other before. How does Genesis 1-1 start? Maybe you've memorized it as a, as a kid. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And what do we see right here in John 1.1? In the beginning was the Word. So it sounds like John is telling us that the Word actually precedes creation, right? We can definitely conclude this if we keep reading because we see the Word wasn't just in the beginning. We see the Word was with God before creation. What does that mean? Well, it means the Word was in relationship with God. But not only that, John writes the Word was God. I mean, we're just getting punch, punch, punch right here. Just in one sentence, John is telling us that Jesus, the Word, was in the beginning, that he was in relationship with God, and that he actually was God. And then verse 2 it basically repeats this. Let me just ask you, taking a break for a second from the text, what do you tend to think of when you think of creation? Or the beginning of time? Maybe chaos? Maybe nothingness? Maybe a vacuum? Maybe just, uh, you know, we're on this precipice and something really crazy is about to happen. Something really powerful is about to happen. Y'all, John is here to tell us that Jesus was there. Whatever that looked like, we have, the scripture speaks to some of it. But Jesus was there. He was with the Father. And verse 3 tells us that Jesus, he wasn't just there. He was acting in everything, right? All things were made through him. Nothing was made that Jesus did not have a hand in. So let's stop and think about this for a minute. John's telling us there's nothing about creation that Jesus was not a part of. He was there, he was with God, he was God, and he was, he was on. It's kind of like this. It's like a beautiful painting that maybe is hanging on this wall, a huge painting. Maybe you've gone to a a museum before, and you're looking at this art in a museum, you're familiar with the artist because he or she is really famous, really well-known, but then John points out, did you see that there is another signature at the bottom? And we're like, wait, I thought there was just one artist, right? There's another signature. There's a second artist that was equally involved in the work, and you're standing, sitting there thinking, wait a second, I did not learn this in art class. 
John is showing us that this one God actually exists in relationship with himself. He is communicative within the, the Godhead, the Trinity. He is the creator who collaborates within the Godhead, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And I guess with all the references to Genesis 1, I don't think John would mind us. I think he might actually encourage us to connect the dots here. Similar to what we've read about the Father and the Son in the beginning, Genesis 1-2 says, The Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. So you've got Father, Son, and Holy Spirit at creation, acting, interacting, knowing, communicating, all God, all involved. How does this hit you tonight? Maybe you grew up hearing that Jesus was a friend for sinners. That he, that he is compassionate and, and, and kind and finds uh, the people who nobody else wants to be friends with. That's true. That is good. But maybe you need to hear that Jesus also made everything that you can see. That he is the author of life. That he is extremely powerful. Meekness does not mean that Jesus is weak. That means that Jesus, he is not doing all that he could do. Uh, he's holding back in a sense. He has been and always will be God, y'all. Maybe you think he's wise. Maybe, maybe that's what brought you to Christianity. You started reading the red letters uh, in the Gospels and you thought, man, okay. Uh, there's a Chinese student named Rao when I worked at Millsaps College in Mississippi who was like, this book, it seems like it will help me live a better life. And I said, Rao, it's so much better than that, dude. He had been reading, you know, the Proverbs or the Psalms or, you know, some New Testament wisdom literature. And, and I said, Rao, oh, baby, it's so much better than that. Right? Jesus is wise, and I'm sure we can all appreciate the wisdom that he gives us. But guess what? It's better than that. He is, he is wisdom incarnate. He is the source of all wisdom, and he is the source of all life, and he is your maker, and therefore, he is the absolute best person to look to for how to live, for how to thrive, and maybe you need to be reminded of that tonight. That the word Jesus, he is God, and that maybe your or my view of him is too small. I oftentimes draw a graph for students uh, about sanctification, and uh, it's one of these great, I think, doctrines that we hold high in the Reformed Church, but that we can oftentimes get wrong and think, oh, am I, you know, we, we like, we'll oftentimes think, Oh, I'm doing really well. I don't need God. I'm really, you know, or I don't need the, the cross. I'm close to God. I'm doing great. Look at me obeying. And then we, you know, we do something and we disobey. We skip church and we're like, oh, we're down here. It's like, oh, I really need, I really need the cross. Uh, but I, I argue with students that uh, at conversion, you learn, yes, there is a gap between me and God. And as I grow in my faith, I am more and more aware <clears throat> Of how big that gap is. I'm not becoming more and more of a sinner. But I am becoming more and more aware of my sin. And I am becoming more and more aware of his holiness. And so what happens in my mind and my heart? The cross grows. Jesus grows more and more. And this always makes me think of a scene in Narnia. When I think Lucy says to Aslan, you've grown. And he says, oh, you just know me better. Ooh, baby, that gives me chills. Right? Y'all, Jesus is not just this... You know, weak, ancient Near Eastern carpenter, he is the God of the universe. And man, what a humble thing to do for him to, to take on flesh. We'll talk about that more in a minute. But the word is God. He is the author of creation. And this actually transitions nice, nicely uh, into 
uh, our second point, that the word is life-giving light. Verses 1 to 4 are looking back at creation, reminding us that Jesus has always been God, and that Jesus was with his Father, he was with the Spirit in the beginning, and just like a powerful sunrise shining into darkness, John's reminding us Jesus is both light and life to places and people that only knew darkness beforehand or never had it at all, or who never had life at all. I love that the verb tense changes from past in verses 1 to 4 to present in verse 5. Maybe you noticed that. Creation happened in the past. Jesus keeps shining in the present. He is not afraid of it. It will not defeat him. Again, as we've been walking through the Gospel of John, he is just so deliberate. He is... I love the Lazarus story because, you know, his interactions with death, uh, it's, he's not afraid of it. Uh, he's moved because he feels for his friends, Mary, Martha, Lazarus. But then there's also a really cool, that I've never noticed before, a word that's used about how uh, Jesus was moved. that can be translated, basically, it's what happens when a, a horse snorts. Like, it's about to charge, or a bull. Like, death makes him angry. Uh, and he, you know, he is moved, and he go, he's like, Lazarus, come out. But Jesus is not, all, all that to say, Jesus is not afraid of the darkness. He is not afraid of death. What words, or sorry, excuse me, getting back to this. What words did God speak to begin the work of creation in Genesis 1-3? God said, let there be light. Like, I am powerful enough to speak light into this darkness. I'm not afraid of it at all. The Spirit was hovering over the darkness, right? Over the waters. And here John's connecting the dots for us that Jesus is the light of the world. He's not afraid of the darkness either. And God is communicating with and to creation by shining through his Son into our reality. And it's beautiful when we begin to see in this passage, with Jesus as the Word, that we go from you know, sound, we're hearing, to sight, we're seeing. Two of the primary ways that we come to know somebody in our lives, through hearing or, or communicating by sound and sight, God is communicating with us in these ways. God's using both of these senses here to show us he's knowable, he wants to be in a relationship with us. And so John is explaining to us that Jesus, the word, is God, the word is light, and he guides mankind. It would be good for us to follow him. The light and life that he possesses, they lead humanity in the way we are supposed to go. The way that we're supposed to live. Do you hear it? Verse 4 says, In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The life-giving light doesn't leave us where we are. He leads us where we're supposed to go. We progress because he is present. In verses 6 to 8, they keep running with this idea that, that John explains the prophet John spoke about this light, that he came to bear witness about the light. It's like he came to say, wake up, it's morning, the light is here, look that way, go that way. Open your eyes, sleepyheads. You should not be asleep anymore. Follow me, I will point you in the right direction, I will lead you toward this life-giving light. And verse 9 adds that this true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. Let's talk more about this thing called the fall. I'm sure many of you have heard of it. Uh, we'll talk about that in a minute. But we learn in this verse, verse 9, that this same light who guided mankind at the beginning of creation 
is somehow reintroduced to give his light to mankind. Maybe you missed it, but we jumped from creation in the opening verses to many years after that. Like, what I pick up on these verses about Jesus is that he's persistent, right? I'm reminded of Sally Lloyd-Jones who describes a never-stopping, never-giving-up, unbreaking, always-and-forever love. That's how she talks about God's love. And Jesus is persistent. He was shining at creation, and now he is yet again shining into uh, our, our, our lives when he enters the world in human form. Jesus jumps at the chance to shine into the darkness of the world, the darkness of your life. We've been doing, I was telling somebody about this earlier, uh, I met a grad student who was here, and I cannot remember her name, but she had a good experience this morning. Uh, she identified as Presbyterian, and so we reached out to her, and uh, she is not able to make a grad student community group, but we're trying to connect her and all these other grad students to the church, but we're doing a grad student community group on this book called Gentle and Lowly, and it's all about the heart of Jesus. Uh, and Dane Ortland, a pastor, uh, looks back at the Puritans in this book. But y'all, I mean, one of the themes from the book, and I highly recommend it, is that Jesus jumps at the chance to shine into the darkness of this world, the darkness of your heart. He is not afraid of it, and he's like, I want to be all up in that. I want to transform that. I want to heal that. I want to change that. You, you may think that he sees what is inside your heart or your mind and that he doesn't want it. Uh-uh, I'm not, going, I'm not going there. But that is the part that he is most excited to move towards. To bring light to it. To transform it. Uh, it's, it's, it really is amazing. Uh, before we move on from this second idea that the word's life-giving light, let me ask you, like, have you come to a new understanding before? You look back and you saw how in the dark you were. College was definitely a time for me uh, where I experienced this. Or you thought you understood things the right way, and then you look back and you saw, man, how blind I was, how misunderstanding I was. I wasn't thinking at all. John Newton, uh, who eventually becomes a pastor and a hymn writer, the guy who wrote Amazing Grace, or one of my favorite hymns, I Asked the Lord, he was actually a slave ship captain before. Did you know that? And he becomes a Christian in a time when the slave, tra- the slave trade is a normal thing in the Western world, and he becomes a Christian, and he begins to see that the buying and selling and objectification of people is wrong. And you re- may remember the line from the song, I once was lost, but now I'm found, was blind, but now I see. Let me ask you, are you like Newton? Can you look at areas of your life where you now have understanding, you now have compassion, you now have wisdom or experience, maybe in your marriage, your friendships, your career, your emotional or your spiritual life, and you just did not have it before. And John is illustrating that when we interact with Jesus, he will illuminate our lives. He will bring truth and light and life and love to these areas. So let's run to him. Let's not keep these areas of our lives, like this building, siloed off, that door closed, and that one locked, and that window shut, and those blinds closed. John is trying to get you and me to see, open it all up. Open up the gates, open up the doors, open up the windows, and let the light of the gospel of Jesus Christ shine in. He brings light, he brings understanding and new sight, he brings peace, and the ability to trust 
in him as we give over to him our fears and our anxieties, honestly saying, I am afraid of this. I am anxious about this. And he brings order to our chaos. He untangles our anger. He lifts our fallen faces with comfort, with a heart that he tells us is gentle and lowly. With a yoke that is easy, and if we will take it on, it will actually buoy us upward. Jesus says throughout his early earthly ministry, follow me. And if you and I will follow him, we will come to understand the world and ourselves and everything in it differently. We won't have it all figured out. Again, the words of the hymn, I may not know the way I go, but oh, I know my guide. If he knows the way, then what we need to be concerned with is knowing him, following him. Because Jesus, he is inviting us into a new way to be human. We talked about this earlier today, this morning. We've got to start to see the world differently. If God doesn't look on the outward appearance and he looks to the heart, well, if I'm following Jesus, then my eyesight's got to be changed. I need surgery, right? I don't need to trust these natural eyes. Jesus is inviting us to develop new eyes for the world, uh, to leave our old way of seeing things behind. This is the Christian life, right? For those of us who already claim to follow him, uh, we know that we tend to revert to the old way, like the old self Paul talks about, the old way of our hearts and our minds and our eyes and our ears and our lives working. But Jesus is there to patiently remind us and reorient us to this new way, this compassionate way, this sacrificial and hospitable way, this gracious way. It is a life-giving way for us, our families, our neighbors. But Jesus goes way beyond appealing to our senses uh, with words or ideas or even with just light to, to lead us. This passage actually culminates in these final verses where we see that Jesus, the Word, actually became just like us. He took on flesh and he dwelt among us. The word present at creation, the word who is life-giving light, God, actually becomes a human being with flesh and blood in order to make himself known to us. That's just crazy that he would do that. But verses 14 to 18, the glory of God is revealed in a new way to humanity, in a way it never has been in the person of Jesus. And I love that verse 18 says, no one has ever seen God. Not yet, but guess what? The only God, or better translated, the only begotten God, the Son, the one right beside his Father, he has made him known. Let me stop, because I want you to feel the power of what Jesus does here. I've heard many a pastor uh, explain it this way. In Shakespeare, and maybe I've said it from this pulpit before, in Shakespeare's plays, how would Macbeth, how would Hamlet, how would Othello ever know that Shakespeare exists? How would they ever know? They wouldn't unless Shakespeare wrote himself into the play for his characters to know him. And is that not exactly what God does in the person of Jesus? He writes himself into the story. Again, I just can't believe that God would do that. But writing himself into human history by becoming one of us. Is there any more real of a way to know humanity? The God who communicates in Jesus comes to relate with 
people, with his people, as one of them. And, I mean, he's going to do it forever. Jesus took on flesh, and he will be in flesh forever. And I wish that it was just like, and that's the end, happily ever after. But it's so much more complicated than that, isn't it? Maybe you noticed, I skipped over verse 10 that tells us, Jesus' own flesh and blood, the people and the world that he created, they didn't know him. Verse 11 reminds us that they, that we, didn't receive him. His own people did not receive him. Instead, he was rejected, he was despised, he was mistreated. But guess what? He knew that rejection would come. Whereas the law that was given through Moses only worked to show us how flawed we were, basically highlighting our need for sacrifice to atone for our continual sin, Jesus brought in himself a fullness of grace upon grace. Grace and truth powerful enough to transform, to resurrect, to redeem the very ones who rejected him. Jesus came in the flesh precisely to fulfill the perfect law's requirements. He came precisely to do that and then to have his flesh torn, his blood shed, his life given so that we might become children of God. Not born of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, but of God. Born of the Spirit. Just how far is this word who was at creation, who is God, whose life-giving light, Just how far is this word willing to go to know us? Well, the answer is far as the curse is found. And that is how far he makes his blessings flow, if you like that Christmas song. You see, the word made himself known at creation. He continued to make himself known from that time forward, but ultimately and most powerfully makes himself known in the life and sacrifice he came to perform so that a dead, a blind, a sinful people could be changed into a people who live and who see and who love. One of my favorite songs by this guy, Andy Gullahorn, Again, uh, I like music. Sorry, I'm talking about music so much tonight. But it's called Broken Heart. And it's all about our tendency to protect our hearts. Simon and Garfunkel sing about about this, right? I am a rock, I am an island. You're not getting my heart. The Beach Boys, In My Room, it's about this place I can escape to and be alone. And maybe we need some alone time. But I think there's a lot of music out there that's all about us saying, I'm not giving my heart to anybody. I don't trust anybody. And so Gullahorn talks about this tendency that we have to protect our hearts, how we're always building these metaphorical walls and doing all kinds of things to keep ourselves from getting hurt. No one wants to be on the receiving end of hard things like hateful and unkind speech, right? Or violent and destructive actions. But if you've been around long enough, longer than a year or two, you know that your words and your actions have harmed people. These people that we say, I I love him, I love her, I do things and I say things to hurt them. I know I've, I've hurt people with my words and my actions. And so don't we just want to go lock ourselves away so that no one, including us, can get hurt again? But the refrain in this song, Gullahorn's song, after he kind of lays out, this is our tendency, right? Wouldn't this be nice if we could all do that? He keeps reminding us that a broken heart is better than one that doesn't feel. And the last verse reminds me of just how beautiful the gospel is. Gullahorn writes this. 
there are other ways that Jesus could have saved the world. Ones that wouldn't end up with him dead. Could have done it with an order from the throne of God, but he did it with a broken heart instead. And so then he concludes, so I'll take a broken heart. Y'all, Jesus took on human flesh, including a heart beating in his chest that still beats today. Knowing that his heart would be broken. Knowing that the judgment we deserved would become his. This word must love us a whole lot, right? He must be serious when he promises, I will never leave you or forsake you. He must be worth following, right? He freely offers to you and me the very relationship we were created to enjoy. And he gives us a a new opportunity, and I would argue a deeper opportunity, to know this creator God now as Father. A relationship that we are dying to have, but that we are incapable of obtaining on our own. And it sounds too good to be true. But I'm telling you, it is true. And he is persistent. And his light will shine through, and the word will finish what he started. And this is the Jesus that the Bible is all about. The Jesus who is worth giving up our little poor excuses for a kingdom, like those folks building the Tower of Babel and saying, I'm done with this. I'll follow you. I want to be a part of your kingdom. He wants to know you. He wants to know me. Let that be an encouragement to you tonight about the word, Jesus. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much, again, that we can gather tonight, uh, that we can worship you, that we can sing to you, and that we can hear from your word, that the word, uh, wisdom incarnate, uh, the blessed man. All these Old Testament images, Lord, uh, are but shadows of Jesus. Uh, The truer, the better prophet, priest, king, And so much more. And so we lift up our lives to you. We ask Jesus that you would reveal yourself to us. uh, And that we would abandon uh, the the idols, uh, the little kingdoms that we're trying to build. uh, That we would honestly, openly, transparently hold out to you uh, the things that we tend to cling to. The anxieties that we cling to. The fears that we have. The struggles that we have. And God, I pray that you would, um, again, meet us with those things and show us that you can uh, remove our tight grip from those things. And that as we cling to you and you cling to us, uh, that you will prove yourself faithful. That you will show that you are good and that you have even better plans for us than we could write for ourselves. Uh, So may we know you, may we know your love. Uh, And may we be transformed and healed and redeemed by your love. We offer up all these things to you in the name of Jesus. Amen.